What's up, everybody? Welcome to another stream on Rule of Two. Today, Mark and I are joined by Stephen Stanton, the voice of Tarkin, and of course, uh, Radis from Rogue One. And he's also involved with a lot of other projects too, not just Star Wars that we're going to talk about. So very excited to have him on the show today. Hello, sir. How are you? Hey, guys. Uh, thank you for inviting me on the show and uh, hi to everybody out, that, uh, out there that's watching us live. It's uh, glad to be here. Yeah, thank you for coming on the show. We uh, we really appreciate it. No, no so problem. to start off, there's a couple things that you're working on that we want to plug right away. Um, go for it, whatever you want to mention. Well, let's see. There, you know, in the in the Star Wars universe, there are always things being worked on, but I can't always talk about it. But in the other universes, like uh, in the Disney universe, I've got uh, a new series coming out on Disney Plus called Monsters at Work. It's an animated series that's a sequel to Monsters Incorporated. And the whole thing takes place after the time period uh, where they have to start using laughter. It's almost like the day after they start using laughter instead of screams to power the whole uh, city. And uh, two of the characters I play in there are Smitty and Needleman, who uh, you probably know. They're sort of they're those two goofball kind of characters. Yeah. They're custodians they kind of do a little bit of everything around the uh the plant and uh it's been great fun working on this series with everybody over at disney animation and uh it's just been a lot of fun so that's uh very very happy to be involved in that and that's coming out next month what i what's can't wait the, to see uh, that what's what are some of the production differences in terms of how you interact with the crew for a television show versus a motion picture you know, it really varies even between television show to television show. Uh, every every production does things has the has a pipeline and a way of doing things, and everybody has just their way of doing it. So, you know, even though I am doing a television show like The Bad Batch, uh, we don't do it the same way that we do for, like, say, Monsters at Work, which is a whole different group of people, producers, animators, and uh, in film. I would say probably the biggest difference between the TV stuff and the film stuff is that um, the uh, um, a lot of times in film we're working uh, by ourselves rather than in, in groups. You know, you're 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 um, you're uh, you're in the studio by yourself rather than with the other actors. Uh, that was the way it was like with uh, Rogue One, where I was doing the voice of Admiral Radis. Uh, I was pretty much, I was in the studio by myself, you know, with the, the crew in uh, in England directing me and Matt Wood uh, from Lucasfilm and Doc King you know, for Disney, kind of keeping everything. Matt Wood's there to make everything, make sure everything continues to sound like Star Wars. Uh, and uh, Doc Kane is kind of a legend over at Disney Studios. I've worked with him in the past. He's just this uh, incredible uh, sound recordist and uh, engineer. And uh, he kind of like, you know, when he got something good, needs to be done right. You always have Doc behind on the board. Uh, but, yeah, that's that's the, that's one of the ways that it's different between television and motion pictures. So in Star Wars, I'd love to hear how you got the job of Tarkin. Um, please take me through the whole story of everything from day one. <laughs> OK, well. Let's see. Well, I had already been working on um, Star Wars The Clone Wars for um, for a little while prior to getting the role of Tarkin. I had originally been asked to come on board to do the voice of Masameda in the season two episode, Duchess of Mandalore. You know, so that was way back like in 2009, I think it was. Yeah. And um, 
there was a uh, there was an audition that came through at a certain point where they were looking for a uh, a character that they referred to as the sergeant. Uh, a lot of Lucasfilm auditions are always very secretive. If it has any any wordage in the script that sounds like Star Wars, they take it out and they put in sort of generic terms. In this case, they were like generic military terms. Um, but they did say they wanted it to sound like a young Peter Cushing. So I kind of had an idea that this might be the road that they were going down. Uh, so I did my best sort of younger sounding Peter Cushing. Part of what I based it off of was, you know, Peter Cushing was already, you know, you know, later in his career when he did Star Wars. Uh, but he had a much longer career, you know, prior to that doing Hammer films and a lot of television in the UK. And one of the things that I focused on was the uh, his portrayal of Sherlock Holmes for the BBC, like around 1969, I think it was a television series. And I thought, you know, this is really kind of kind of like the character because Tarkin isn't a villain yet. He's just yeah. a very sort of opinionated kind of power hungry kind of guy that is in the military and uh, he likes to do things his own way. Like I said, he rubs people the wrong way. He always thinks he's the smartest person in the room. Very much like, yeah. you know, you could make an a, equivalency there between that and Sherlock Holmes. You know, they're kind oh, of, yeah. you know, kind of think they're the best guy around. So I, I based it, I based it on that, and that was for the uh, the Citadel uh, trilogy that was in season three of the Clone Wars. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, a lot of times you do these things, especially when you've got original trilogy characters. You think, all right, that's it, it's a one shot deal. But yeah. uh, I was very uh, happy to be brought back, you know, several times in the Clone Wars, especially towards the end, season five. And then uh, again in Star Wars Rebels and, of course, now in The Bad Batch. Was there was there a was there a phrase that that you took from Peter Cushing um, um, in Sherlock Holmes that was kind of like your anchor? to try to develop the entire voice and character out of, because obviously you're not British, but you know, the characters um, in the show, the English is very convincing, right? Like, like the dialect of Tarkin is very convincing. Is there, is there a string of words that you latch onto and anchor onto that help you kind of stay in the boundaries of your accent that, that, that you're portraying? Not not particularly uh, like from Sherlock Holmes or anything. I have like a, a a master reference reel that I will listen to, you know, from Star Wars: New Hope of all his, you know, all his dialogue and that. And that's kind of like my jumping off point. It's like, so what does what does Peter Peter Cushing sound like? And then I have to make an adjustment and say, like, okay, now how does the version of Peter Cushing that I'm doing for whatever show I'm in, because he changes ages depending on what show that I'm in. How does that, you know, how does how does that change? Part of what's unique about Peter Cushing, and he talks about this in his uh, autobiography, is that um, the the uh, the way of speaking that we are, you know, that we know him by is something that he developed over time. He had a, he admits he had a very unsophisticated accent when he was uh, wanting to get into a theater school as a young man, and he says, you know, the head of the school said, "Out, come back when you learn how to talk." Wow. And so he sort of, I think he said he befriended like the, the secretary of the school or whatever. And she gave him some, I don't know if it was some books or notes. And he said he would walk around the local parks, you know, enunciating how now brown cow and all this sort of thing, you know. Wow. Yeah, very sophisticated, very, you know, you're on stage and the audience was here, you all the way in the back and that sort of <laughs> thing. 
And so that was something that he sort of affected over the years and it became a part of, you know, who he was. But it, that's why, you know, when I listen to some of his dialogue, you know, someone asked me recently, how do you know when to roll the R's? Well, it's not consistent because that was a way that he came up uh, with of talking on his own. It wasn't like he grew up in, in a family and that's how he learned how to speak. It was something he came up with. So, you know, there's, I have to make adjustments based on the dialogue and the age of the character and like, is he, is he more evil or more friendly, you know? So I make all those kinds of adjustments depending on the show that I'm in, you know, or which, when I'm portraying him during his lifetime, the character of Tarzan. So I guess, I didn't know that. So I guess now, you know, from Clone Wars, to the Bad Batch, you're sort of in between here and, I guess, Rebels. Let's see. In terms sure. of aggressiveness oh, yeah. and 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 you know um, his cadence and his demeanor. Yeah, this would be the time period where, like in in the Citadel trilogy, Tarkin was still he still picked up a blaster and used it. You know, so he was a very physical. Yeah. He wasn't just sitting behind a desk and saying, you know, blow it up or have right. him kill. Whatever. He was right. still doing some of the dirty work himself, getting his hands dirty. And right. uh, so now we're kind of a sort of an interim stage. I'm guessing that, you know, the Bad Batch period, I don't know how they're, you know, I can't give away too much. But, you know, the, the Tarkin novel, if you've ever read that, uh, you know, that is a similar time period where Tarkin is, he's in charge of uh, building the, uh, the Deep Space Mobile Battle Station, a.k.a. Yes. the Death Star. And um, he is uh, being called back to, uh, you know, by Palpatine to uh, link up with Darth Vader, and they're gonna they're gonna like start working together. And there's clones around and all that sort of thing. So he's still kind of like he's still coming just out of being a military man, but he's still being expected maybe to you know get into a battle and command a ship. And uh, right. so I think this is still the Bad Batch Tarkin is still kind of in that area. He's not Grand Moff Tarkin yet. So no, yeah. I, Still, he can still probably get out there and cause trouble. You know, put him behind the, uh, you know, behind the wheel of a, of a star cruiser or whatever. He could probably do a lot of damage out there in the galaxy. I, I always wondered, you know, in in that book, I know it explains it briefly, but he suspected that Anakin was Vader, and that Sidious was a Sith Lord. Mm -hmm. um, I know you can't say anything, but I hope we get to go into a little bit of that with the Bad Batch and and see not only the transition of clones to stormtroopers which is what tarkin seems to be pushing but <clears throat> also a little bit of what anakin and vader are going through at this point as they're transitioning into you know full-on dark side full-on darth vader and above all tarkin's relationship with vader i think would be something super interesting if lucasfilm ever wants to create a story or or, or touch on that somehow um, i'd love to see his relationship with other members of the empire especially one as tarkin well, there's always room for those kinds of stories, whether it's the Bad Batch or something else. I mean, part of what you yeah. brought up about him, you know, suspecting that Darth Vader, you know, there's a huge clue for that in the very first Star Wars film where you got to the scene where Vader opens the scene saying, he is here. And Tarkin mm -hmm. says, Obi-Wan Kenobi, what makes you think yeah. so? Well, he didn't say, yeah. who are you talking about? Or, you know, he, you know. so it's in right. yeah. because Tarkin has worked with Anakin. You know, yeah. and uh, you know he knows who Anakin. He knows that Anakin is the Padawan of Kenobi. So there's no mystery, you know, there. So if someone says, "Oh, my old master, Obi Wan Kenobi," well, who must you be talking to? 
Exactly. You know, unless there was a whole string of Padawans that we don't know about yet that came came after uh, Anakin. You know. Yeah. Maybe, maybe there's a series there we haven't seen yet. Yeah, maybe. Vader Vader's relationship with Tarkin is very interesting because in the entire saga, that's really the only time besides the Emperor that you ever see him be at all willing to submit to somebody else's opinion or or it, it seems like Tarkin is his boss, right? Like like oh, totally. like like in like in the org structure, he's pretty subservient to Tarkin. It's a very interesting uh, relationship in the Star Wars canon between those two. I agree. You know, I think a lot of that, you know, you know, from the first film, we don't know any of this stuff. We just know Vader's this cool looking bad guy. You know, now that we've, you know, the picture's been painted for us before and after the original trilogy, we have a much better idea, especially with things like, you know, the books and the comics and all that. And, you know, one of the things that uh, I've always felt was true was that, you know, some people have said, well, why would Vader acquiesce, you know, to Tarkin or whatever? But when you look at what happens to Anakin at the end of uh, Revenge of the Sith, where Palpatine really, he breaks him on that table. Like, despite all the medical technology, here you've got this person who's essentially, a, you know, much more than just a burn victim. He's missing limbs and so forth. And they're putting him back together, like, with, like, he's not in a back to tank or anything. He's just, like, no anesthesia, no pain, you know, nothing to relieve the pain. They're just putting him raw. They're building him. And breaking it, Palpatine is breaking his spirit. He's lying to him about what happened to, you know, to Padme, and and so I have a feeling that what you essentially had there was somebody that Palpatine could mold. And so I think you know they had, you have the the Vader as villainous as he is, he is a, a broken spirit, and that's why I think they've got other people that are more powerful than him, you know, psychologically that control him and kind of get him to do their their bidding. I think Tarkin is. You know, taking advantage of that to some degree, and definitely Palpatine has. Yeah. You, you, you know, one thing that I wanted to ask, kind of, kind of take a little bit of a step back, because uh, I'm always fascinated when we have guests on here to ask him this question. What, when did your kind of Star Wars genesis begin? Like, what, what are your personal earliest memories of Star Wars, and how did you get into the franchise? Uh, well, I saw it in 1977 when it came out at the theater as a kid. And, um, you know, it was, that was a time period where, uh, you know, there wasn't a lot of good science fiction out there. You know, I grew up watching science fiction on TV, which was mainly reruns of Star Trek and uh, space, there's Space 1999, Lost in Space, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. Anything that came on, uh, my, my, myself, my younger brother, and some of my friends at school, we just ate that stuff up. You know, we watched those reruns over and over again because, that's all there was, you know, and, you know, uh, a friend of mine from uh, from junior high, he was the president of our local uh, was called the Star Trek Federation of Fans, you know, and they would get together at the community center like uh, once a month, once a week, you know, that kind of stuff. And they would um, talk about Star Trek. And one of the things that I started doing on my own was after I saw Star Wars in the theater. I really got into Super 8 filmmaking and started mm -hmm. making my own model ships and epics, oh, you know, cool. on Super 8, you know, getting my friends together and we had lightsaber fights and aliens and, you know, all kinds right. of stop motion. I was, you know, a big fan of like Ray Harryhausen and Phil Tippett. So I was doing a lot of stop motion and, and those kinds of films. And, you know, then 
you know, the Star Wars exploded onto the scene and it kind of like changed everything, especially in the sci-fi genre, you know, every, you know, Battlestar Galactica came out and John Dykstra and his people, you know, from ILM, they were all doing the visual effects, there was a big lawsuit for that, you know, back in the day. And, um, you know, so I, I, I got totally sucked in. I wasn't really sure though, that I was going to see it before it came out because, there was, uh, I've told the story before, I apologize, anybody that's listening has heard me talk about this. <laughs> well, there was a, like a, a newspaper that came out, you know, when I was a kid, it was called like, you know, the Weekly Reader or something like that. And they were talking, you know, had a, all pop culture stuff, and they were talking about this new film coming out, Star Wars, and it's supposed to be about this farm boy who goes to rescue this princess with the help mm -hmm. of an old wizard and these two robots. And they had a picture, it's a, it's a it's a famous publicity still of two stormtroopers in the Death Star. And they said, these are the robots, R2-D2 and C-3PO. <laughs> right. Well, you can't get much more low budget than this. If these are the robots, like I've seen better, you know, I've done better on Super 8 on my own. Yeah, but, yeah. but, you know, in Florida where I grew up, uh, if a new movie comes out, you know, you're going to go because it's in an air conditioned theater and you want to get out of heat. So, right, you know, at right, the very right. least, you know, it's like, well, sci-fi, it'll probably be, you know, probably be okay and then i sat there like everybody else and was completely just awestruck at that opening sequence you know with the star cruiser coming overhead and then the other added bonus for me after everything else that was going along so well in this film the scene comes on where peter cushing walks in now i had been a peter cushing fan watching him on tv you know in in old horror films but i had never seen him in a new movie at a theater anywhere so immediately, I, and I still remember the thought that I had in my head. I said, oh, my God, this movie is going to be so good, even more so good now that he's in it. I couldn't wait to see what his character was going to be. It just, it just had everything in it for me, you know. So, yeah, it had a big influence, you know, as far as me become, wanting to become a filmmaker and coming to Los Angeles to film school. The films that George Lucas did and Steven Spielberg, those guys, you know, how they changed really how they changed Hollywood with those, some of their films had a big impact on me because they were the, they were the young kids making films that showed that you could, you could do it. You didn't have to be part of the old guard. Where, where yeah. in Florida? Uh, Tampa. Oh, okay. Cool. Cool. I'm in Miami. I'm actually in Miami currently. Oh, there you go. And you can believe yeah. I've never actually been to Miami the whole time. I, you know, lived in Florida because we would always vacation outside I've of heard that. Right, you know, you'd go. A lot of people from Tampa have never been to Miami. It's like, it's like the Buccaneers and the Dolphins are teams from like two different sides of the country or something. <laughs> well, and I've never seen, I've never seen a, a launch from Cape Canaveral, Cape Kennedy, because right. you know you're always just kind of there. You know, it's on TV or look up in the sky. There it is. You know. And I've never been to Florida, so there's that. Right. Well, Soon you gotta Soon. go. There's you know there's always Walt Disney World. You gotta check that out. You know? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Um. So I, I got to ask, you know, what's it like to work with George and, and Dave Filoni? I'm a big Dave fan, of course, George fan, but um, yeah, what, what was it like? Well, you know, from the day-to-day -day workings, you know, on the Clone Wars, uh, it was, you know, Dave Filoni and his crew would fly down from the San Francisco Bay Area, come to Los Angeles. And they would, you know, work with us. George Lucas is I never saw him, you know, as far as, you know, coming down, uh, he, we would get notes or notes yeah. would be given, uh, by George from, 
week to week. So you would do like, a, you know, a session and then Dave would come back and he'd have some post-it notes and things like, so, okay, George would like this line differently. And uh, this one, actually, believe it or not, the very first time I met George Lucas was in 1984 when I was working at the Grauman's Chinese Theater because he was there with Steven oh, nice. putting his hand in foot cool. meant and I was there on hand to uh, help uh, help facilitate that whole thing. I was an assistant manager at the theater working oh, nice. at film school. So that's, cool. that's right. And I, I got to talk to him and I, I could barely get the words out of my mouth. We had, what we had to do was, um, I had to take a piece of paper up with it. It's this official Chinese theater stationery, and I had to ask them both to sign it and put their signatures on it. And I could barely get the words out of my mouth. And my boss came over. <laughs> he wants you to sign that because what happens is the um, uh, the cement would start to settle. So they used to have someone standing by with like a wooden stick, and they had to keep the signature in front of them. If the signature started to settle, and they would like go back over it and trace over it, and make sure it you know it didn't just get into a bland piece of cement again. And I used wow. to have that piece of paper for a long, long time. I, I, so, I gave so, it to so, so you're saying, if I'm hearing you correctly, that you actually facilitated George and Steven Spielberg to sign their Chinese theater um, cement block. You were well, part I, of that. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't there putting their hands and foot, footprint in. I was there, <laughs> so, uh, kind of like commanding the troops that were there today that day. Uh, Jack O'Donnell, I think his name was, was the guy that used to mix the uh, the secret recipe of cement. And Jack was always on hand to make sure that everyone's hands and footprints were in there correctly. As a matter of fact, uh, George and Stephen were the very first people to put their sneaker prints. In the theater, if you look at the block, you can see where Steven Spielberg slipped and his toes went in, and then he came back out again. Then he put his full footprints in there, so the little mistake is is still there. But uh, yeah, cool. see, it's funny. You know, I've never seen any live. I, there was a there was a million photographers and newsreel people there, but I've never seen live action footage of it uh, anywhere. You know, but. Um, I remember so seeing it as a kid for some reason because I, I actually do remember vividly the whole sneaker thing. Or maybe I just remember that because I've been to the theater and seen that they have their sneaker marks in there. But that's a really cool little, uh, you know, anecdote. That's that's fun. Yeah. I mean, so so that's, you know, so as far as working with those guys, you know, I've never gone. I mean, I've, I have visited Lucasfilm Ranch once well, long before uh, uh, Skywalker Ranch before I worked on Star Wars. I had some friends that worked out there, but I've never gone there to do any uh, to do any work or you know the screenings uh, or any of that of that kind of thing. So George Lucas was kind of like in the background as far as uh, my dealings is you know working on the Clone Wars or Rebels or anything. And when, in the forefront, when, Dave Filoni every day. Right. You know? Yeah. 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 He seems like a cool, very down to earth dude. Um, we heard from, I think it was Ashley Eckstein when we were talking to her, uh, she said that George was extremely hands-on with the Clone Wars, which I love to hear because I didn't actually know how hands-on he was until she kind of explained that he was kind of just nitpicking everything for the show to make sure it was, you know, according to his design, which was very nice to hear. Um, is Dave something like that too with the Bad Batch and his projects that he's now... Um, Overseeing. Well, because if he's, you know, when he's not there, you know, I, I'm sure because he's this animation, you know, supervisor and creative executive director. I don't, he has so many titles now that he holds. He's overseeing yeah. so much. I'm sure he has uh, his hand is in everything, you know. Um, uh, 
uh, back in the day, you know, he was he was the point person. So you would have like Dave would be there supervising the recording of all the voices, but many times, you know, someone else would be directing the animation of the particular episode. But Dave was still overseeing all of that. And then, of course, you know, while Clone Wars was going on, you had that extra layer of George Lucas. And you know, it's funny because like one of the things I tried to get in. At a, there were, we did a, a, a series of episodes that ended up being seen as part of the last season of the Clone Wars. Uh, uh, Ahsoka's walkabout was the was the arc. You know, we did those back originally. We recorded all those back in 2012. And I remember in the, in the first episode, there was a um, there was a scene that was very much like out of the deleted scene from American Graffiti, where you've got this sleazy car salesman. And he's trying to get Ahsoka Tana to buy this uh, speeder bike, and it's a piece of junk. And I, and uh, up to that point, in all of George's uh, his projects, there had always been a mention of THX eleven thirty eight. So I wanted to throw in a THX reference. So I threw in an ad lib that said, uh, you know, like, you know, come on, please, you know, the eleven thirty eight's a classic. It's never going to go out of style. You can trust <laughs> me. He's junk. And of course, I waited for the next week, and there was no note, you know, to change the line. So I was like, okay, oh, sweet. heard it. Maybe I'm not sure, but it sounds like yeah. the line got. But then when they reworked those episodes for what we ended up seeing, uh, you know, this last year, I think it was, uh, that whole sequence was was not in there. So unfortunately, that character did not see the light of day. But it's but that happens a lot, you know. We have no control over rewrites, and that that arc in particular. Charles Murray was the uh, person that wrote those uh, original scripts. Charles has done, you know, executive producer on Luke Cage and a writer for that and, and Sons of Anarchy and, and a lot of live yes. action credits. And um, he had originally written those uh, those episodes with a, the Ahsoka walkabout, you know, mm -hmm. uh, with uh, two characters that... Um, trying to think how to say it without giving away there were two characters two she was going to be with two characters that had only been seen in the live action films up to that point we hadn't seen them in animation and then they reworked it and they took one of those characters out and they put nix okami in and uh matthew yankin came in to do the voice of that he did a brilliant mm -hmm. job and then i think what happened was you know that was 2012 and now we're what how many years later now eight like Not 11. Eight. Yeah. yeah, whatever. How many yeah. years? Yeah. So, and then considering everything that has been told in the Star Wars saga since then, story-wise, and I think, you know, who we've seen Ahsoka become, you know, through Star Wars Rebels, where we've seen her more as an adult. And yeah. I think they had to go back and look at that and say, like, does that story really work or serve the character the same way it did back in 2012? And they probably said, you know, it doesn't. We need to make some changes. So characters got cut. Things got reworked. But, uh, you know, I was still uh, very happy to be a part of that, that episode. Because it really what was important about that was how uh, Ahsoka got to see how the rest of the, you know, the lower levels got to see how they perceived the Jedi. And they weren't perceived in a good light at all. Oh, it was so sweet to see that. Because, it's, it's, and you know, something... I find that we don't see too much of is the side of the empire, which is why I'm so intrigued with how we get to see some of Tarkin in the bad batch mm -hmm. and showing, you know, pushing kind of what he wants, which I assume are orders from the emperor himself. Um, and also how regular civilians view Jedi. Cause I feel like 
Jedi view themselves the way Mace Windu views himself, which is like this prestigious, you know, great stand-up guy um, and sees everyone else as a citizen, so to speak. But to see how they actually viewed the Jedi and what they did to, you know, the the, the family of the Martez sisters, and um, it was neat. I liked that perspective. Yeah. Um, jumping towards the Bad Batch, and of course, there's only so much you can give away. Um, with Tarkin's push to have recruits, oh, I, I guess you can't really answer this. <laughs> Are, I'll just ask it. Are we going to see the transition between the clones to stormtroopers? Well, I can't say yes or no, but I think we've got right. an that that you know that's that's kind of what we're trying what 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 we're thinking might be happening right like the whole idea of civilians coming in and whether or not you know they would be better suited and then of course you have the other sort of like side angle it's like yeah but what if they were commanded by one of these enhanced clones maybe that would be even better like you know yeah. that would feel so so you know we're, we're gonna definitely i think that's a road that you know i think it's safe to say we're probably going to have to explore it some degree right. the setup is is there so we yeah. want to throw that away right no no of course not and I, i'm very excited to see what the phase three clones are uh that uh Camillans kind, of are a, to... kind of in a tangential follow-up to where theory is going because i like where theory's head is at with this um do you ever kind of have your own personal daydreams or have heard from feloni himself um about the relationship be between thrawn and tarkin you know that. Um, let me let me just say this. Uh, it's funny because Dave Filoni, you probably heard through numerous actors. One of the things that Dave likes to do is to discuss Star Wars, just like you guys like to discuss Star Wars, or everybody in the chat loves discussing Star Wars. Dave Filoni yeah. loves to discuss Star Wars, and one of the things that I would do is a lot of times I would have questions on my mind and say, well, what, what happens with this? And what, what's the Sith? And they would spend 20 minutes, you know, before a session or on a break. And he would explain things like that. I mean, and I've heard all kinds of interesting ideas, whether or not they'll actually be put into place. And I've heard things about uh, relationships between characters, like what you're talking about. But there's a lot of that stuff I can't, I can't really elaborate on because you never know how it's going to be used in the future, right. you really don't want to give anything anything away. But I do want to let everybody know that's listening, you know, is that those things are discussed on a regular basis. It's, like I said, even in, in the sessions that um, that I'm that I'm in, you know, like who gets, you know, the lightsaber of someone that's, you know, passed away? Like how, to, how does that get handled? You know, um, all those kinds of things uh, get addressed. So, and some, like I said, to the point where sometimes the producer has to tap on the glass and say, Dave, we have to start recording this uh, episode. Because right, right, right. As much right. as everyone is enjoying this, we actually have, you know, we've got some work to do. To take. Well, that, well, that's passion. Yeah. You know, that's what you want to hear from the guy running yeah, man. creative on the show, you know, mm -hmm. to live in that world and exist in that world 24-7, I think is, is part of the job requirement. You know, um, I think it's important. I'm glad to hear that that's how it really is in the sort of minute to minute reality of working on the show, even if it's something as kind of uh, laxed as like, you know, voiceover recording for animation. I've done a lot of voiceover recording in my career for like, you know, a bunch of stuff and it's a different environment. You know, people are holding coffees and like, 
you know, they have their croissants and they're hanging out. They're not dressed in a costume, you know, so it is a different vibe. And it's fun to hear that even in that environment, Dave is constantly spinning his kind of creative juices. Well, he seems like a fan. He, he, I really think he's a huge Star Wars fan. And I think that's one reason why his work just shines so bright. Well, he yeah. is, you know, he's admittedly, you know, the, when, yeah. uh, he thought when he got the job, you know, the interview to, to get the job at Lucasfilm, he's often said he thought his friends uh, at the studio that he was working at were playing a prank on him because all he did was talk about Star Wars or the Phantom yeah. Menace. Was like, here, no, give it a break. You know, let me, let me explain yeah. to you this movie is good. And, so, you know, that that carries over. I mean, you know, he was, you know, he's he's very he's very good at uh, keeping the fires, the creative fires lit underneath the actors as well, because sometimes we have really busy days. There have been some times where we've had to record two episodes back to back. And that's, you know, you're, you're changing gears, you're doing different characters. Everybody's got to, yeah. you know, and they, have a, and they have a time limit. It's like everybody has to be out. You're like, you're starting at this time. Everybody has to be out X number of hours later. No overtime. It's like it has to get done. So, you know, there's a push, you know, for everybody to uh, to be on target, to have read their scripts, to know the material and uh, and not, you know, treat it too lightly because, you know, that yeah. you don't want just because you're not on the set and because you don't have to be in costume and hit your marks. That's no reason that you know should not be. You should definitely be familiar with the material because what happens is during the course of the session, you know, we just we don't just read the script through and it's like, OK, then we're done. You know, sure. what happens is, you know, Dave Filoni has a very specific way of directing. He will set up a scene for you. Like, where is it taking place? Is it indoors? Is it outdoors? What's the atmosphere? Uh, and then what he really wants to do is to listen to the um, he wants to hear the actor's interpretation of the scene and how they're gonna play it. And then once he hears it, then if he needs to make an adjustment or steer you in a different direction, he'll do that. And then a lot of times what they'll do is like, if they've got a certain particular viewpoint or take on a scene finished and they wanna try something else, then we'll go back to square one and now we'll try and play it out a completely different way. You know, there was a lot of that going on uh, on the Twin Suns episode of Star Wars Rebels. Oh wow! Yeah. Where I did uh, Ben Kenobi and uh, Sam Witwer was playing uh, Maul. Oh man! Yeah. Gray was, uh, it was Ezra. You know, masterful work, by the way, sir. Like I, I kind of wanted to save that for last as like the final thing. Because... I didn't know that you did Ben Kenobi. Yeah, 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 yeah. He did what Ben Kenobi. Um, and, and remember, because like um, we had our, actually our very first uh, rule of two that Nia and I did together. Uh, Sam Witwer was the guest yeah. and Sam Witwer. Um, that's my favorite episode of rebels. Um, and it's probably my top five favorite in all of the animation uh, canon. It's a masterpiece of an episode. It's called the twin sons. And uh, in that episode, um, uh, Sam Witwer told us that, that you guys were hanging around in the studio and they were talking about that thing. And then either he said, Hey, you should try to do it real quick or, can you do uh, old Ben Kenobi? And you did it, and everybody was like, "Well, that's perfect. We don't need to do that again." Yeah, and Sam was like, "That's the guy, right? Like that's yeah. that's the one reason." Yeah. Well, yeah, 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 right. Now I remember he did say Stephen Stanton. Yes, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. The uh, the so story can cool. How that actually came about is uh, what happened was is that originally I had I was working on Star Wars Rebels, and I think I was in the studio working on the episode Double H Droid, which is 
the one or our musical episode that has AP5 singing in space, and we have our, yeah. you know, Annie get your gun kind of uh, anything you can do, I can do better sort of spoken word exchange. But before you know, here we are. We're getting ready to do the session, and um, uh, someone had mentioned that Disney Infinity 3.0 uh, was shutting down; that they were discontinuing it. You know, they were just talking about it as you know, general gossip news. You know, and I said to Dave, I said, "Oh, Dave, I said, did you know that another one of my characters, Mieber Gascon from A Sunny Day in the Void, uh, little Mieber Gascon?" I said, "Did you know that he was in Disney Infinity?" And Dave said, "No, I, I didn't." He goes, "Did." Did you do the voice? And I said, no, no. I, I said, the character only speaks in text bubbles. And I said, to be honest, I said, I'm not sure that they knew I was the person that did the voice. But I said, I gladly would have done it because I was already there doing the voice of Ben Kenobi for them. And Dave said, oh, yeah. He goes, that's right. You, you do do Ben Kenobi because he's known that I've, I've done Ben Kenobi for LucasArts for like Battlefront II and Empire at War. You know, back in two thousand four and five, and oh God, going dude. way back, that's when I, for one of the very first things I did for Lucas uh, film was doing Alec Guinness's Ben Kenobi. So Dave says, "Yeah, let me let me hear a little bit of your uh, of your Ben Kenobi," and I'm like, "All right." And then I kind I got nervous and my mind, went completely blank, and I couldn't think of anything to say. And Vanessa Marshall, who plays Hera, she was next to me. She goes, do the, do the scum and villainy line. Do, do, do that line. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. How's it go? And I'm like, I couldn't <laughs> think of it. And then I, I finally, you know, got my thoughts together and yeah. said, you know, Moss Isley's space fort. You'll never find a more wretched eye of scum and villainy. We must be cautious. And, <laughs> and Dave's like nodding his head and takes his hand off the talk back button yeah. and he kind of leans back and he's talking to Henry Gilroy. And, I'm looking at uh, Vanessa and I'm like, what in the world was that all about? So we do our session, you know, I get to sing in space as AP5. Everybody hung around for that because they wanted to see how incredibly bizarre that was going to be. Um, and when we were done, everybody was pretty much exiting and Dave was there with, uh, you know, his crew from up north. And he said, I want to talk to you for a couple of minutes. He says, so he says, we have an idea for an episode that we're thinking of doing. He goes, we, it's, this is not a go yet or anything. But he says, we're thinking of putting in uh, the character of older Ben Kenobi, the Alec Guinness version. And uh, he said, we have some ideas about how we actually want to do it. You know, and he told me what those were. And he says, so, you know, like the Jedi, don't get attached. You probably, it would probably just be a temporary thing. But. Uh, if you're interested and want to lay down what they call a scratch track, which is just a temporary track, then they can use that to, for the timing for the animation and the previs and all that kind of stuff. He says, if you're interested, he goes, and if we go through with this, he goes, if you're interested, let me know. And and if we go through with it, I'll I'll give you a call and see if you want to do it. And I'm like, oh, okay, you know, sounds interesting. And, um, uh, you know, up to that point, I had not done uh, any episodes in in any Star Wars shows with Sam Witwer together, our characters never cross paths. So I thought, you know, two things got me kind of excited about this. I had been doing Ben Kenobi for the games for so long. I said, you know, it'd be nice to do it, even see it in as a temp track in animation, even if it gets removed at some point. And it'd be really fun to work with Sam on something because I just had never had that opportunity. And it's like, okay, that'd be great, you know. So a couple weeks go by and I get a call from Dave Filoni and he says, we are going to go ahead with this episode. If 
you're still interested, we'd like you to, you know, come in and, and do the voice of uh, Alec Guinness's Ben Kenobi. And I'm like, all right, you know, I'll, I'll be there. So he gave me a lot more details about, you know, what was going on with the, the episode and everything. And so the day of the recording, uh, if you're familiar with that episode, Mark, you know that the rest of the cast is in it, but they kind of bookend the uh, sure the episode. So they brought everybody else in, like Freddie and Vanessa and everybody. They recorded all their stuff first, and then they all left. And then they brought uh, Sam, uh, Ezra, and myself in to record just in the room by ourselves, all alone. That's cool. And, uh, and the way we and we're the studio that we do those uh, sessions in, uh, I think it's Studio F. I think it is. It's really big. It, it's it's it was enlarged during the Clone Wars to so you could put like over a dozen people in there comfortably, and uh, record us. So we had this very large studio, and there was just three of us in there. And the way we set it up was, Taylor was in the middle, and uh, I was over on his left, and Sam was over on his right. So he had like the devil on one shoulder and the angel on wow. the other. Yeah, so we yeah, had him yeah. kind of sandwiched in there, and you know. Much like I was saying before, this is the way Dave directed it. You know, we kind of ran through it and recorded. We record the run throughs, the rehearsal, and then Dave would make adjustments. And um, we would try things different ways. He would hear lines being spoken out loud, and they would say, you know, maybe. We, so they would they would rewrite on the fly. And and this particular episode was not only being directed by Dave, he wrote it as well. So he had the writer and the director in there at the at the same time. So they we would say things. And they would rewrite them. Um, there are some scenes that we that you see in the show that actually had much more dialogue in them than what you ended up seeing as the finished product. Maybe one day they'll they'll you know play the. Sam the, mentioned something like that, and he said, "I can't yeah. talk about." Yeah, uh, yeah. They were so you know they you know they it's it's you know when you're on the set, it's a work in progress. You know you've got the thing written down, but then when the actors start playing it out, you start to see like what things work, what doesn't work. Are we are we telling the audience too much? Should we hold back? You know, there's yeah. all the decisions being made, and then um, so I recorded that, and um, you know, said goodbye to everybody, Dave and Sam, and a couple of other people. I think we're hanging out, and I kind of left. I'm like, okay, that's that's it. I guess we're going to see what happens. And then uh, they called me back in. I'm going to say either once or twice more, just to record a few different lines. Dave had me in there one time by myself. We were literally changing one line of dialogue. He said, I have to get this right. This has to be something a Jedi would say. He even joked, he said, maybe I should give George a call and get his opinion on it. <laughs> wow. And, Can you say yeah, the I mean, line? What, what was the line? It's a powerful episode. Uh, yeah. Are you allowed to say? I will just keep that part of that session. All right. The whole rewrite kind of thing. Okay, you know, yeah. that's that's Dave Filoni's story to tell. Really, you know, it's and okay. It's, it's, yeah. And hopefully, he'll he'll talk about it. But um, you know, then you know, that's it. You think, okay, that's 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 the last I've heard of it. You know, and then almost yeah. a year goes by, and um, actually, no, actually, before that, here I'll tell you what happened. We were recording another episode of Rebels, and Dave said, yeah. he said, oh, he said you're. Kenobi stuff is really working well because he goes, we're, we're stitching it into, you know, the, whatever they had pre-animated or pre-viz. He said, we were in our editing room and he said, people were walking by. He said, and he said, they stopped and they poked their head in and they said, 
did you guys find some old unused outtakes from Alec Guinness that you guys are like stealing for this show? It's like, where'd you guys get that stuff? <laughs> well, that was very gratifying to hear that he was saying that people, you know, were yeah, were thinking that, that they had found some old. Oh, when you when you made that that quote, the chat blew up. It was just it was I mean, like it really is Oh my god. It really it is. is uncanny. I mean, it's it such is. a beautiful thing. And, and like one question that I want to ask because um, I was su I'm such a fan of the Twin Sons episode. It's such a great episode, and you do such an incredible job in that. And so does Taylor, and so does Sam. It's a great episode. Um, I also really love, uh, obviously, James Arnold Taylor's Obi Wan Kenobi. Um, and and you haven't worked on the Clone Wars for so long. Did did you and and J and James have a relationship? And and after you know post facto on the Obi Wan stuff, did he nudge you and say, "Hey, man, you took my." you took my line or, or, you know, what, what's some insight into that? Uh, you know, we actually had not worked since uh, the end of the Clone Wars. James and I haven't really seen each other because we hadn't, we never crossed paths in the studio or anything like that. But, you know, he, you know, his, his Ewan McGregor, Obi-Wan is, you know, is phenomenal. And uh, it was great to yeah. see, you know, the hologram of, of his, you know, uh, juxtaposed against the, uh, the Ben Kenobi one. So you can see like, here's this, uh, evolution of the character where he's gone he's becoming more of that character we all know on on Tatooine but you know the the thing was though even though I had recorded that and Dave was saying they were cutting that stuff in there was still no guarantee that they were going to use it because they had these other options that they were playing around with and uh there was other actors that they had in mind so oh, they yeah it's like I said Dave's got a whole backstory he's never really told on this one day you know uh, when we're all old and gray, maybe it'll all come out. But so, uh, you know, nearly almost a year later, getting close to it, you get, finally get a call from Lucasfilm and they said, we just want to let you know that uh, it's Lucasfilm publicity calling and saying, we want you to know that they used your Obi-Wan for the show and we're releasing a, a teaser trailer and your voice is in it. So we just wanted to get you ready for it. It's like, it is you. Get ready for whatever comes cool, your way. Man. You know whatever right. that may be so we're like thanks for the heads up you know we had a great chat and it was it was really it was thrilling to hear that they ended up using it and i had you know i was not expecting you know to go down that road but uh after doing the guinness voice for so many years now it was just wonderful to actually have an episode where i got to portray him you know just like that uh, that character that we all know and love yeah well excellent work bravo to you for that thanks. because that's one of those haunting episodes that I will replay over and over and over again. It, it's just, it's just like Star Wars magic at its best, in my opinion. But nice so job on that one. Would you say that, um, in the end, Maul and Obi Wan became sort of friends? I think it was more of an understanding of Obi Wan really understood where where Maul was that he just couldn't let go i mean that's how he managed to take advantage of him in the fight he knew right. he knew he was still holding on to all this old rage and all these old memories of everything that obi-wan had supposedly done to him to ruin his life even though you know there was so much more going on that make maul miserable uh, mm -hmm. it wasn't just you know his interactions with obi-wan so you know that whole sort of scene with him cradling him in his arms at the end it shows you the compassion that obi-wan yeah. felt for this this character you know this this being that was just so tortured and, you know, you could see, you could see that Obi-Wan didn't want it to go that way. That was not his, he didn't want to have to kill them all. Didn't want it to go down. 
It was such a quick fight, but it was I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, yeah, it was it was brilliantly done, and it was you know it was we've seen so many of the epic light saber battles. I know probably everyone was expecting something along those lines. I think turning the tables on not only you know the audience as well made that thing what is what makes it stand out in everybody's minds. Like it was over so quick. How did yeah. you know what what happened? What did I just see? I have to replay this. You know. Yeah. Sam yeah. explained it super well with the with the different positions that Obi Wan was going through with you know the Qui Gon or oh I'm not the Obi Wan from the Clone Wars I'm now you know Ben Kenobi and it it was pretty profound the way he explained it. Where yeah. do you think? I just want to get your opinion on this. Where do you think you and McGregor will have to dig deep or or come to a middle ground for the Obi Wan that he's about to play? You know now ten years after uh, Revenge of the Sith because he's no longer you know Obi Wan Kenobi of the Clone Wars. Uh, he's not Obi-Wan Kenobi from, or Ben Kenobi from A New Hope. He's now right in the middle. So how do you think he's, what, what would, what do you think he should be doing? I think he knows the character probably as well as anybody. He certainly doesn't need advice from me. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm looking forward. What would you like to see? Whatever he comes up with is fine with me. I, I'm willing to be surprised when I, when it comes to this, my expectations, you know, when it comes to Star Wars is like, I just want to be surprised. I don't want to right. guess ahead of time or have, you know, thinking about, right. I wonder if it's going to be this. I'm because those are those are the movies that I enjoy the most. Like when I first saw all Star Wars, I didn't have any idea what to expect. I certainly didn't expect what I saw in the Empire Strikes Back when uh, Raiders of Lost Ark came out. I had no clue as to what that movie was about. I hadn't even heard of it. There was a standee in the lobby. I just gone finished seeing the movie Outland with Sean Connery with a friend of mine like, this looks good. And he said, and he said, yeah, Time Magazine gave it a good review. I'm like, let's go see that one too. Completely right. blown away. No expectations, right. have right. absolutely no idea. So when it comes to Star Wars, I I just want to be surprised, like I am with the Mandalorian and and everything else. Or, you know, Rogue One, another another beautiful project to be involved with. It was a really great film. Um, do you know anything about the uh, I don't know if you can answer once again, about the deleted episodes of the Clone Wars that I would love to see um, that were apparently recorded with Daniel Logan um, going over his killing of Cad Bane um, and then possibly will will we ever see Son of Dathomir as a standalone sort of series because that's something I really really want to see in in uh, Clone Wars cartoon. I know that I know the episodes you're talking about some friends of mine yeah. that and uh I have I have no idea if that's going to to happen or not. That's damn, uh, you know. Okay, if, I have no say in the matter either. And so. if you did, you couldn't say anything. Yeah, fair enough. I thought you I'd know. try. Where, where do time. you? We're we're starting to get close. You've been very generous with your time. We're pushing fifty minutes. Um, where do you where do you see Star Wars in the next five years? Uh, good. You know, with all the projects that they have going on, I, I, I can't even imagine. And like I said, I don't like to I don't like to second guess or try to imagine. No expectations. That's good. No. That's much, that's much healthier. At the, at the Disney, you know, at the, at the stockholders meeting and like, oh, there's a lot of cool stuff. And um, I don't I don't know what it is. And I'm just kind of waiting in anticipation to to see, you know, what, what, what is it they come up with? They've got some brilliant people working for them. And, you know, they, they're always, I've always surprised, I've always been surprised on any of the shows that I've worked on personally, even though I already know some of the characters that I'm doing it. 
you know, some right. of the new characters I did were where there was Moralo Ball or, uh, you know, uh, uh, Griff in Star Wars Resistance, you know, the old ex-TIE fighter uh, pilot. You know, there's there's all these these great characters. I never would have thought of them myself. I never would have anticipated them coming into Star Wars. Um, so I'm always, you know, whenever I get an audition, you know, for a new character, uh, I'm always very excited about taking it on a new road that has, you know, I could never imagine, you know, on my own. It's, that's what they, you know, they excel at. I, I know, you know, as fans, we all want to see certain things, but I'm always uh, more, you know, kind of surprised when they, they come up with stuff, to, you know, especially Dave Filoni and his, 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 his team, when they come up with things that I absolutely never could have guessed yeah. would ever even be in Star Wars. Um, for for other folks that are out there, other young folks out there that are working in cinemas across our great country and are dreaming of bigger things and doing creations and being in the position that you're in right now, what kind of advice would you give those folks? Oh, gosh. Other than just, like, keep, keep, uh, keep doing what you're doing. Well, you know, uh, it was much the resources that you have available to you these days as a creator are so are vastly uh, bigger, uh, more gigantic than what I had as a kid. You know, when we made a super eight film, like, well, where would we show it? You know, you get your friends together or your family, or yeah. you can get a, a church group or a school or something like we're always making excuses, my friends to, to do a school project. And, and can we do a film instead of writing a report? You know, that way we could work on our filming school, you know, film skills and so forth. So, you know, if you work at a theater, first off, you're already working at a film school because you're getting to watch movies for free on a regular basis. So you should watch as many of them as you can. And then, you know, get out there and, and just start making your stuff. Put it up on YouTube and Vimeo. It's like there's no excuse nowadays not to get your stuff out in front of the public eye. Anybody anybody can do it so long as you have a, a camera and you get your friends together. Actually, we're working with a, a, a young guy right uh, right now. He's an aspiring screenwriter. We just had a meeting with him last night and, you know, we're telling him kind of the same things. It's like, you know, he, he did really well in, in, uh, in high school, you know, uh, putting together a, you know, film, you know, with his, in his film class. And now he wants to go, you know, beyond that. And, you know, it's like, yeah, do it. Uh, there's nothing, nothing to stop you right now, except for your own, you know, uh, unwillingness, I guess, to move forward, you know, don't, uh, don't get stuck. You know, one of the things that, um, that I enjoyed while, while I worked at any theater was just being able to see the kinds of movies that I ordinarily would not pay money to go see the stuff that I had to break out of the genre that I like really loved science fiction and horror and fantasy, but, you know, I wouldn't go necessarily see a, a drama, you know, like a passage to India or something like that. It wouldn't be, you know, something that I would uh, make an effort to to go see because I think oh, I might not like that kind of thing. You know, so uh, when you're when you've got all this stuff available to you now with everything that's going on with streaming, you know, we've got so much available to us. There's there's a lot to uh, to educate yourself with. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I like that, that you're kind of in film school whenever you watch a movie. So I guess I have a masters at this point because that's all i like to do is yeah. just watch films so so um, uh when, when does your project come out when does the monster sequel come out well monsters at work uh that premieres on july 2nd on disney plus and okay um, cool 
you know, if, uh, uh, let's see, I can't really say too much more about it other than I have, but as far as other new things that I'm working on, uh, I do a lot of work for the Disney theme parks as well. And the Avengers campus just oh, nice. uh, opened up the other day. And I don't think I can, I don't think I can say yet. I can't say what I did on that, but it's an extension of something that was from one of the other parks in another part of the world. So it's something I've been working on with uh, Disney, Walt Disney Imagineering for quite some time. So I've got that. And right now, if you're any of the, people that uh, you know, in, in your audience, if they like Looney Tunes, you know, I, I yeah. Warner Brothers as well. I just did a couple of Kuma was a character that, uh, you know, we brought back and I've got some, some new ones that we're working on with another classic Looney Tunes character. They haven't uh, announced those yet. So I'm really looking forward to everybody seeing those too. I, you know, the, the, all this stuff that, you know, you, you grew up with and now all of a sudden yeah. you know, you're working on it. It's uh it's nuts, you know, it's, and, uh, oh, I would, I do want to mention one thing, uh, especially because of the lockdown and everything. So, um, uh, a while back I did a, uh, an audio book of, uh, Treasure Island and we oh, put nice. it up on YouTube for free for students, especially, uh, advanced placement English and other classes that use that book as, you know, as an assignment. And um, we, it, it exploded. The viewers, viewers, it was doing well already, but during the pandemic and the lockdown, it just exploded. Everyone was just using that. And uh, so if you've got any, if there's anybody out in the audience that has been assigned that book for your class, uh, there is on my YouTube channel, you can find the entire, all 34 chapters. There's no commercials. You don't have to pay for anything. There's no, it's all free. And I do all the voices in it. And you may actually hear some voices that kind of sound familiar to you. Some of That's the British awesome. But anyway, so that, um, I'm going to I'm going to put the I found it. it it's it's yeah, uh, yeah. I'm going to put the link to part chapter one of 34 in the description right now. Yeah, I um I haven't visited that book in a long time, but it's it's a it's a good one. It's a fun one. It's a really fun one. It um, is. High yeah, yeah. As we say. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, look, for me, thank you guys. And thank you to all the people watching the dual stream on StarWarsTheory.com. It was fun over there. And, you know, theory. Thank you, and thank you, Mr. Stephen Stanton. Stephen, before you go, can I can I bug you to say one thing? Uh, you may fire when ready. Oh, of course. <laughs> you may fire when ready. <laughs> we got it. There you go, chat. So subtle. Hope you're happy. So um, subtle. So I love it. It was. Per it's just perfect. It's beautiful, like, man. That for me is Tarkin. He seems like very confident, but bored at the same time. You know, like like he's. <laughs> You know, like like oh, yeah, everything's <laughs> everything's beneath me, kind of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, he's above every order he gives. You know, it's really well done, sir. And well, also, you. I've linked I've linked it now down below in the description if you guys want to go check out Steve's Treasure Island, uh, part one of thirty four. Just refresh the stream. Um, yeah. All right. Thank, Thank you so much, you. guys. Good night. It was great. It was a pleasure uh, finally getting to meet uh, both of you here in the uh, this virtual space. So, oh, you know, a, a, a dream of mine would be to have you and the cast of The Clone Wars and Dave Filoni here for a, a sort of a charity stream or something like that. And all the money that people donated in today's stream will go to a charity of your choice. What would you like to choose? Oh, for me? Yeah. Oh, uh, Starlight uh, Children's Foundation. We've had a long... Starlight Children's Foundation. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, so anyway, you guys, um, may the force be with you always.
May the force be with you, Master. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> Later. <laughs>